mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, up, up, and away, Findlay's biggest summer event is right around the corner. We'll get a preview of this year's Flag City Balloon Fest. But before that, to kick off this weekend, it's downtown Findlay's first ever summer art walk. We'll get details. Also coming up this morning, examining the claim that the principle of majority rule is at risk in Ohio. The chair of the Hancock County Democrats discusses their opposition to issue one. And in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, the fascinating story of the Hancock County astronomer who helped prove Einstein's theory of relativity and served as president of the National Academy of Sciences. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. A new law in New York City bans restaurants and eateries from voluntarily handing out utensils and napkins in their takeout and delivery orders. New law took effect on Monday. People must specifically request those items. If you don't specifically request them in your takeout Delivery orders, you will not get them. Uh, the so-called skip the stuff law aims to reduce plastic waste uh, plastic waste, uh, and, and uh, help the environment. Businesses have a grace period until July of next year before they face actual fines of up to $400 uh, per violation. For now, they will receive a warning if caught violating the law. And here's what I want to know. How are you going to get caught do they have utensil inspectors before the uh, before the orders go out for the for uh, delivery? Do you have to present them to the utensil inspectors and make sure you are not uh, including any utensils or napkins in your takeout or delivery uh, orders? There, I don't know. It's the nanny state strikes again. Where else would it be but New York City? Some of the other uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. The birth rate in this country has experienced a sharp decline in recent years, but apparently only for human babies. Uh, According to a new report, CBS actually had these uh, numbers, about 65 million American households now include a dog. Millennials boasting the highest percentage of pet owners among all age groups. 65 million American households now include a dog. And one of the reasons, they say, is, uh, well, actually, this isn't one of the reasons, but because there are so many dog-owning households, there is this whole burgeoning industry devoted to pampering our pets. Did you know you can now uh, (laughs) hold a bark mitzvah? For your dog. But only if it's Jewish. Um, (laughs) But uh, doggy birthdays, bark mitzvahs, uh, doggy daycares, gourmet pet treats, pet-friendly cafes, all of that uh, becoming more and more popular because there are more and more dogs. And by the way, Boise, Idaho, the most dog-friendly city in the U.S. According to a new survey, uh, they... Looked at access to dog parks, quality, and climate, uh, all taken into consideration. Uh, you know, climate perfect for for pets. Uh, Boise, Idaho, number one. After that, San Francisco came in second place. Henderson, Nevada, was third. Um, four of the worst cities for dogs are in Texas: Garland, Laredo, Arlington, and Irving all among the worst cities for dogs. New York City actually has the most top-rated dog parks, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. So if you have a dog, and it appears so many of us do, uh, Boise, Idaho would be the uh, place to be, the best place for your dog. And kind of interesting. That's what we do. Most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your uh, day started here. Now, this, I have to preface uh, this story that I saw in the uh, Newswire by saying that we are not suggesting, even for a moment, that we in the United States uh, should take uh, any tips from China. That being said, the Chinese government 
is considering a new law to limit kids' use of smartphones. Now, in China, there's already a law on the books that forbids children to play online video games more than three hours a week. Say, actually a actually a national law that mandates the amount of time that kids can spend playing video games. Um, more than three hours a week, and then only on weekends and holidays. Now, this new proposed law would cap cell phone use by teenagers to two hours a day. And uh, younger children would be limited to one hour per day. And uh, kids under the age of eight would only get 40 minutes on their devices. They say the limits on Internet use are meant to curb addictive behavior in children. Like I said, uh, I'm not suggesting that we should take uh, our cues from the Chinese from China on really anything, but they may be on to something here. I don't know. Um, and it's not just kids, obviously, that are addicted to the internet. Um, we get most of our entertainment via, via streaming these days in this country. In a poll of 2,000 Americans with streaming subscriptions found that the nation's favorite on-screen family is the Adams family of all of all things the Adams family is America's favorite on-screen family which tells you that we're just spending far too much time in front of the tube uh, the Simpsons were number 2 followed by the Bradys and the Bundys from married with children uh this was kind of interesting um but when it comes to best on-screen friendship Olivia Benson and Elliot Stabler from the show Law and Order Special Victims Unit took the uh, top spot. They were the uh, pair of cops uh, central to the uh, to the story. Uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. They're the stars of the show, and they are apparently uh, TV's best on-screen friends. Uh, it goes on to say this uh, survey: Americans get. Uh, FOMO when it comes to their TV, the fear of missing out. 55% of respondents have gotten mad at someone for watching an episode of a show without them. And 59% have lied about watching an episode and then pretended to watch it for the first time with family or friends. (laughs) They've watched ahead in their streaming and then they pretend that they haven't uh, to keep from getting into trouble. I have to admit, I have done that with my wife. I've done that with my wife. We're uh, binge watching a show, and uh, because I get I get home from work earlier than she does, uh, because I begin my workday so much earlier than she does, and so sometimes curiosity would get the best of me. I will watch the next episode of whatever show we happen to be binging at the time, and then when she gets home, I'll watch it again, and I'll act like I haven't seen it before. But then again, I for all I know, she's watching <laughs> she's watching the episode ahead. Uh, in the morning while I'm at work before she goes to work. And so maybe we're both watching it a second time, <laughs> trying not to convince each, uh, each other that we've watched ahead. I don't know. We probably have both done, <laughs> probably have both done that. Uh, let's see. It just tells me that we need to get outside more. And if you do, if you need to get more outside time, especially now as summer is uh, winding down here, the National Park Service is offering free admission to its parks tomorrow. August 4th celebrates the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act. And so it's free admission day and all national parks. Now, if you can't make it to your favorite park on August 4th, the Park Service will offer free admission again on September 23rd, which is National Public Lands Day, and on November 11th for Veterans Day. So... Get outdoors into your favorite national park for free tomorrow to kick off your your weekend. I thought this was kind of interesting. Again, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day comes this item. New research, a new study from the University of California. They say fragrance therapy can improve memory in older adults by 226%. 226% improvement in memory 
uh, when fragrances were used in participants' bedrooms for two hours a night for six months. According to the lead investigator in the study, Michael Yassa, the olfactory sense has the special privilege of being directly connected to the memory circuits of the brain. And he goes on to say that everyone has experienced how powerful aromas, uh, how powerful aromas are in evoking recollections, uh, even recollections from very long ago. And I saw that and I thought, you know, I would have to agree because even today I can remember the very unique smell of my kids' bedrooms when they were young, <laughs> when they were teenagers. Even now, so many years after they've been out of the house, I can remember what their bedrooms used to smell like. It's not something that is easily forgotten. So I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, and lastly, <laughs> among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, you, you're familiar with Cameo, right? Uh, Cameo is this service and it's been around for a number of years where you can pay a celebrity to send a birthday message or some other shout out to your friends and family. You can, if you want to wish them a happy birthday or congratulations on the new house or congratulations to retirement, whatever, uh, you can pay a well-known celebrity to record a message and send it to that person. Well, when it first debuted, it was going like gangbusters. I mean, people couldn't get enough. But now it's become sort of old hat. You know, it's not that big of a deal anymore. So the Wall Street Journal is reporting that folks are finding a new use for the cameo service. And that is getting celebrities to do their dirty work for them. Specifically, the article says users have increasingly been tapping cameo personalities to announce a breakup with someone or to apologize to their friends for something dumb that they have done. Or, in the case of one recent uh, uh, recent uh, uh, job that was posted on Cameo, uh, a uh, graphic designer uh, used the service to tell his co-workers that he was quitting his job. <laughs> uh it said, uh, and I don't know the uh, celebrity who uh, did this, uh, but they said, Christopher is going to put in the notice to leave his current job for a new job in two weeks. He found a new job. He'll miss all of you, but you are amazing, so don't give up creating the life that you want. And then they close with a song. <laughs> that's pretty uh, That's pretty amazing. Uh, one uh, cameo creator was paid by a guy to help him ask his wife for a divorce, even. Wow. That is, evidently, it wasn't a, wasn't a surprise, and she took it well, but I can see that turning ugly. According to company data cited by the Wall Street Journal in this piece, in the past three years, Cameo has received almost 5,000 requests uh, surrounding uh, divorces, announcing divorces or asking spouses for divorces or something. 2,000 requests referenced breakups, more than 5,500 requests involved an apology of some kind, and more than 1,000 mentioned quitting a job. So that's what people are, <laughs> dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Uh, uh, hiring a celebrity uh, for that purpose can run as cheap as $5 or into the thousands of dollars, depending on... Uh, how famous the celebrity is that you want to uh, employ for that purpose. <laughs> there you go. I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I suppose if it gets you out of the job, you know, there there you go. There's some, there's some good side to it. But how would you like to be the celebrity who has to deliver that message? Man. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather.
Plenty of sunshine expected today with a high in the mid-80s. Just a few clouds tonight, a low in the mid-60s. Dr. Andy Hatton, the new Finley City School superintendent, officially began the job on Tuesday, but he's been in the area for a while now, getting familiar with the community. The welcome has been incredible, and the team in Finley City Schools, everyone I meet from transportation to operations, school counselors, teachers, administrators, everyone just loves what they do and loves these kids. Dr. Hatton comes to Finley from the Columbus suburb of Upper Arlington. Get more of our conversation with him in this story on our website. A 45-year-old man from a Toledo suburb is accused of breaking into the U.S. Capitol and disrupting Congress during the Capitol riot. Joshua Coker was arrested July 18th and faces five charges. According to court documents, Coker was identified by the FBI through phone records and facial identification technology. An FBI agent says Coker's supervisor at the Jeep Assembly Complex identified a photo of Coker at the Capitol and his phone number. He'll be back in court in October. I'm Melissa. Andrews. A new apartment building that's planned for a Finley neighborhood cleared another hurdle. In July, the Finley City Planning Commission approved plans for a three-story, 24-unit apartment building on West McPherson Avenue. The Planning Commission approved the plan with conditions. One of the conditions is that the site would be rezoned. And at the recent city council meeting, council approved the rezoning of the site from office institution to multifamily high density. Up next, the site needs variances from the Board of Zoning Appeals to increase the allowed total units and for a reduction in parking. The Board of Zoning Appeals meets next week. Get more on our website. Cedar Point with a big announcement. The amusement park announced plans for its new ride, Top Thrill 2. They say the ride will be the tallest and fastest triple launch roller coaster. They expect it to open next season. This new ride replaces the Top Thrill Dragster that closed down in 2021. That was after a bracket fell off the ride and hit a woman in the head. Onan Stephanie Haney reporting. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning, it is Findlay's biggest summer event, and it is right around the corner. Uh, Joining us this morning with a preview of this year's Flag City Balloon Fest is Kelly Bibbler. Kelly, thanks very much for coming in. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thanks for having us. So uh, it is that time. This is... It is. I know this is something that uh, we start thinking about in the general public. You know, we get to the end of July, beginning of August, you know that it's coming up and, oh, we're looking forward to Balloon Fest, but uh, obviously you've been working on this for months upon months. Yeah, we start the month, we'll, so we'll start in September, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> working on next year's. Yeah, working on, on next year's, and one of the reasons yeah. why it takes so long is because uh, it is not only such a big event, but so many people... Uh, the the balloonists are coming in from everywhere. Yes, and yes, yes. We are actually, uh, our event is very popular with the balloonist and there are other events across the country on the same day. So we have a lot that like to return. So mm-hmm. we will start getting the confirmation of what balloonists are coming here in the next couple months. And uh, so who is, so so what's coming? Uh, who is coming? Um, a lot of people come back year after year, but yeah. I'm, mis- I'm guessing that there are always new ones. Yeah. So we have um, about 50 balloons coming this year. Wow. And um, many of those are returning. And there we have a few that are new this year. And they come from all parts of the United States. They come from Nevada. They come from Florida. They come from the Carolinas. They come from the Midwest. They come from Ohio. They don't fly so, in, by the way. No, they don't. You know, no, they do coming, not. From, they do not fly their balloons. Like yeah, they don't come. Yeah. They don't fly in. They all come um, in a big white cargo van with yeah. a carrier on the You'll back see them with all their over balloon. Town. You will You'll know see, it. Yeah. Yep. You'll know it when you see you it. You definitely so. know. Hey, that's a balloon vehicle. Yep. Exactly. Um, and that's amazing. Fifty, because if memory serves, when this started, it was maybe a dozen, dozen maybe, and a half. Maybe. I mean, like twenty, twenty. Yeah. Maybe at the most. At the most. Yes, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, and I always like to make sure people understand, like, with the event, it's, this event is put on by a committee of volunteers from about 12 people, so <laughs> it's not, we're not paid to do this, and but we do it because we enjoy the event love. and a labor love, yeah. yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that uh, we've talked about in the past, and uh, again, sometimes people don't realize, is there's, there's a competition involved yes. uh, in this. I mean, it's not just an exhibition, it yes. is that, yeah. but it is also... 
And maybe for the balloonists, this is the bigger deal. It's a competition. Yeah. So there's actually prize money that they can win. So mm-hmm. they'll, um, our pilot relations team will set up, um, maybe they have to drop a beanbag and a bullseye, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff where they're flying overhead and they yeah. have to land in a certain spot and whoever gets the closest. So there's mm-hmm. um, some competition involved in the chance for them to win some money. Yeah. Uh, so for the the rest of us, uh, this is all, again, happening at Emory Adams Park. Yes. Uh, and it's more than just the balloons. Yes. That's I'm, the big attraction. Obviously, but yes, yes. A lot of things going on. Yeah. So um, this is a family-friendly event, and there's no admission to get into Balloon Fest. Now, there are things that you can pay for once you get in there, but right. you don't have to. You can walk around, mm-hmm. watch the balloons, check it out for free. There's a kids kids zone that's open, um, starts opening Friday night, and then Saturday again. Um, there's inflatables down there. There's a petting zoo. There's face painting, all kinds of games, like pony rides. So that's always fun for the kids. They jump around in those inflatables and I guess get sweaty and fun. I guess it's appropriate that you have inflatables yeah. at a balloon fest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you really think about it, that would be, yeah. that's the appropriate thing. You absolutely. would have to have inflatables. That's absolutely. Kind of a, a but there's a lot of air. <laughs> a lot of air at the balloon fest. A lot there of air. Is. A lot of hot air. <laughs> um, Friday night is Veterans Night, so we always partner up with Flight City Honor Flight, and they... Um, uh, sponsor a tent and they bring in heavenly pizza and it's by the flight line so those uh, veterans can come and enjoy have a place to sit for the the glow encounter that happens so yeah. we love we love being veteran friendly um there's also craft show yeah and you know lots of other things going yeah. on so what else is happening we have lots of vendors there's a car and motorcycle show okay that is on saturday from uh, 10 to 2 down at the north end so you can bring your car starts at nine for registration uh blanchard valley hospital or blanchard health systems helping to bring that event so mm-hmm. that's that's always a big one you can come you can bring your classic car motorcycle or you can just come walk around and right. enjoy what's there uh you, you mentioned lots of food uh yes reference the yeah, craft show is uh, yes. happening as well craft show uh lots of dry good vendors uh yeah lots lots of food lots of food and uh and <laughs> As we mentioned, the primary attraction, the central attraction being the balloons. Yes. When do they launch? When are they going to be there? What's I mean, what's the schedule with respect to the balloons themselves? Absolutely. So Friday morning, we have what's called a media flight. We have about 13 balloons that will be in the air. Mm-hmm. And then starting on Friday night is when they come in and they inflate and they fly um, all over Hancock County. So mm-hmm. you'll see them going east, west, north, south. And so Friday night and then Friday night when it gets uh, dark, we'll have the glow encounter that people like so they can come watch them glow. And then Saturday morning, again, they're all up in the air. Some fly into Emory Adams, some fly out to Emory Adams, try to break them up that way. And then again, Saturday evening, you'll see them in the air and then we'll have the glow encounter again. Okay. And then Sunday morning, you will see them in the the air. Yeah, the one final launch uh, on uh, Sunday morning. Um, and, uh, the, one of the things we really enjoy about, uh, Balloon Fest is the fact that, you know, once they're up, uh, you're never quite sure exactly where they're going to go no. uh, from there. I mean, no. you know, obviously to a certain extent, they're at the mercy of the wind patterns and they're very good at controlling where they go. Yes. But we don't as observers know exactly where they're going to go. No. They may land in your neighborhood. They uh, might. They may, I know they have done that in our neighborhood in the past and it's really fun to watch everybody uh, just follow them around on the streets yeah, and create I love a, it. a crowd. I've heard people say like, oh, I see my neighbors once a year at when the balloons <laughs> come out we all yeah. come out in the mornings with yeah. our our coffee and we watch the balloons and we chat so mm-hmm. hey we're bringing neighborhoods together yeah uh absolutely so that's uh part of the fun but you really uh, have to be there at emory adams to really get the full experience see all of the balloons yeah. all at the same time yep. whether it's for the glow or the launches uh the landing absolutely you, absolutely so. and our pilots are accessible over there and you know mm-hmm. if you're you want to bring your kids or you guys want to come and Talk to them and, and find out about it. They're yeah. they're there and they love to chat about their hobby. Now, uh, all of the uh, the entire schedule, especially the balloon launches and, and things, are weather dependent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they are very very sensitive uh, to the weather. Yeah, we there's a, a gentleman who's a he's a pilot, and that's his job. He's our weather guy, so we mm-hmm. have our own weather guy. And that's what he does is he works with the pilots and and they look at all the weather conditions and, and not just is it raining or not, but maybe it might be beautiful out, but the wind might be a little bit yeah. rough and things you can't see 
up in the air that they're right. watching. They're yeah. watching the patterns above the clouds, so or up in the air higher. So yeah, yeah there's a lot that goes into it, and some balloonists will are, are more um, nervous than others to fly in certain conditions. So it's always mm. pilot's discretion. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things where don't be too disappointed if maybe one of the launches doesn't happen yeah, right. uh, the yeah. way at the time you thought it would, or yeah. you know the you know with all of the yeah. balloons and so on, because there are a lot yeah. of things that are dependent. Like you Absolutely. said, some of them that we don't even. Uh, yeah. recognize yeah. they uh, want to them. fly yeah they're here yeah. because they want to fly exactly but they also it, it that is a very expensive hobby so they're not going to put themselves at risk or their put their balloon at risk yeah, yeah, yeah their absolutely. investment at risk i i'm i'm wondering one of the big uh ongoing stories uh this summer has been the uh haze from the yes. uh, wildfires right. does that impact the balloon uh, balloonists at all i mean is that something that they have to factor in as well um it, just in terms of like visibility, like where is the haze laying? Is it going to, mm. um, does it affect their ability to see where they're going to land? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So if it's really thick in an area or if it's really thick in a, a certain section of the sky, yeah. then it might have an impact or, on Or them. seeing where they're flying Abs- yes. to yeah. while they're in the air. Because yes. again, a lot of times that stuff is thicker at elevation yes. than it is at ground level. Yeah. So And that's where our, the, the weather guy comes in. Yeah, yep. boy. A lot of things that uh, go into this really fascinating yeah. uh, to- It's a science. Really think about uh, everything that uh, goes into this but again the uh, balloon fest itself uh is what friday saturday friday, friday and saturday friday uh, sunday is really just the balloons in the air there's yeah. not a, there's not any activities going on at emory yeah. adams unless you want to come watch them okay them in slate so, so uh but uh pretty much all day uh, friday and saturday lots yep of friday on. friday starts at four um if you want to come out and see the balloons, mm-hmm. and then Saturday all day. Okay, and uh, complete schedule uh, is on the website, right? Yep, flagcityballoonfest.com. All right, we've got a link up at our webpage, too. You can check that out online. Kelly Bibbler with the Flag City Balloon Fest with us this morning. Uh, again, it's coming up next weekend. Yes. Always look forward to it. The biggest event of the summer. Kelly, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks for having us. So as we were saying, uh, you know, usually August rolls around and all of our attention uh, turns to Balloon Fest because that's when that uh, always happens each year, the the, the biggest event uh, of the summer, uh, no doubt. But before we get to Balloon Fest, uh, to kick off this weekend, uh, it is downtown Findlay's first ever summer art walk. And uh, Daniel Wilkin is here from uh, Visit Finley. Uh, obviously, like I said, you know, Balloon Fest is you know, the the big thing in in August. But this this is pretty cool uh, as well. Talk about the decision to add a summer art walk because typically it's been historically spring and fall. Yeah, you know we we were talking to the local businesses, talk, talking to the local artists, and overwhelmingly they all talk about how much they love art walk, and we love art walk. I think that the general public loves art walk, and so we thought, why not add another one? You know, why not make this a triannual event? Um, maybe hopefully get some good weather. Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. If, fall and spring we're always kind of like oh gosh fingers crossed that it's not going to be snowing or raining or (laughs) who knows what um so we just thought this is another opportunity to support local support support local artists support local business support local musicians um just straight up across the board and typically uh, uh similarly I was struggling to find my words here this morning. It's been one of those days for me. Um, similarly to the spring and uh, fall uh, events, you've got a lot of uh, people participating, a lot of businesses uh, participating yeah. in this. So, so the response has been pretty positive. Absolutely. Like. It was so easy to plan. You know, Art Walk is, is always a, an easy event to kind of mm-hmm. get people to be participate in. We have over 30 locations participating. We have some tried and true favorites that have been doing it since beginning of art walk as well as some new businesses as well so when we talk about the uh the businesses uh specifically uh obviously some of them will be uh, offering uh, doing specials and staying open extended hours mm-hmm. uh places that normally would be closed uh after uh five or so will remain open um but they also will be featuring uh art and music and yeah. so on at their locations as well. Exactly. This year, um, we normally have a harder time finding musicians because 
they're busy. Um, and this time yeah. we were really lucky. We have a lot of local talent and we are able to catch them before they go out to college. So we have quite a few recent graduates that are going off to their first year oh, of college. Cool. And we were able to place quite a few of them um, at area businesses. So, so that's something a little bit different this year. But like you said, all, all the locations participating are going to have their doors open a little bit later than normal, giving you a chance to go and visit them when you might be at work during their normal working hours. And then also be able to see local artists and musicians that are going to be placed there. So a bit of a different vibe yeah. uh, to this because yeah. of that. I yeah. think so. I think it's going to be a little bit lighter, a little bit, you know, art walk's always fun. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say it like that, but yeah. I think it's going to be a little bit more fun. Um, definitely still family friendly. Right. Um, so bring out the whole family and enjoy a free night in downtown. Now, uh, you mentioned that there are some... Uh, tried and true uh, businesses, places mm-hmm. that are uh, always part of yes. Art Walk, and then some new ones uh, at the risk of putting you on the spot. Yes. What are some of the new ones? So Tots Barbecue just opened their doors a couple of months ago. Um, they're participating. They just finished their stage last week, so they're going to have a live musician, and they're also going to um, be having an artist perf- um, creating a, a painting live during Art Walk. So oh, that's going to be cool. really neat. Yeah, Jennifer Souders is going to be there from Mon Gallery. Um, some of the other new locations is Massage Professionals of Ohio. Um, that's not a location that you would normally think like, oh, yeah, they're Art Walk, but they're going to have two artists there, um, going to have their doors open. Maybe you've never been there, so this is a good chance to kind of go and check them out. Mm-hmm. And then we've also, we've never had um, another event um, like Rally in the Alley coincide during Art Walk. So that's going to add a, a new layer Um Rally in the Alley takes place every Friday in the summers. It's the Chamber of Commerce's event, um, and it's going to be taking place in Latham Courtyard as well. So they're having the reunion band. So that's a pretty big draw as well. Yeah. So it's going to be just a little bit different. Um, Gems Fairy Cakes just opened their doors not that long ago on Sandusky Street. So they're going to be participating. It's going to be a fun night. Uh, Also, one of the uh, central uh, parts, sort of the hub, uh, the the heart of all of the activity at Art Walk uh, is the uh, Jones Building. Yes. artist studios there which uh, again many if not most of those will be uh, open yes absolutely i always think that's kind of the best part about art walk is you get in there and you get to see the artists in their natural environment you get to see where their creativity <laughs> see flows. the artists in their natural habitat <laughs> yes. there, as they maybe say. a little bit cleaner they always tell me they do they do some housekeeping before we arrive but you know you get to see where the creative juices are flowing where they're where they're most at home and feel comfortable enough to create their art and um i think that's really interesting and then right next door is the finley art league um they're having their opening reception for their fiber show which i think this is the first time they've ever done one of those so i think that it'll be really neat to see what um is going to be displayed there one of the other things to mention especially for art walk newbies Mm -hmm. if you've never been uh before we talk about this being a downtown event and primarily it is Mm -hmm. but there are uh, a number of uh locations that are participating that are uh, off of the main drag yes absolutely it is always worth in main street's great but it's always worth it to go off off the beaten path just a tad Mm -hmm. um the jones mansion is a really good example of that um they have I think maybe the neatest um, exhibit, they have um, a local, a late local artist that passed away. Um, His family is letting them display over 30 pieces of his art. Um, It's Steve Young Peter. He passed away in January. He was a pretty well-known local artist. So I think that is going to be um, really, really neat. Uh, Marathon Center is just barely off the beaten path, but still. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They're going to have several artists at their location. Awakening Minds Art is going to be there with some coloring activities for kids. They have a bar as well, and they're in the Dora District, so that's always extra fun. Mm -hmm. And live music. Uh, So, too, the uh, library uh, has things going on, so... Mm -hmm. Yep, and also um, Journey Salon and Day Spa, too. You know, they're just, just a little bit off of Main Street, but... It's, it's worth the extra 100 steps. Yeah. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> uh, it is uh, happening on Friday. Yes. Uh, so give us all of the uh, details here. Yeah, so f- Friday's tomorrow. I can't yeah. keep losing track of that. Yeah, happening tomorrow. <laughs> yes, so yeah. it's starting tomorrow. Artists will start being placed around 5 o'clock, um, and then they will be there until at least 9. Um, several locations will be open later than that as well. Um, but as always, this is a free event. It's a family-friendly event. We just want you to come downtown and have a really great time with your family and your friends um 
and see what downtown's all about too. Yeah. And uh, you can spend the entire time down there and kind of come and go as you please. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know. Grab dinner in the middle, whatever yeah. works for you. Uh, exactly. You have a map of all of the participating uh, locations mm-hmm. and what's happening at the locations, the various artists and musicians that will be uh, taking part. It's all on your website. It right? is. Yep. At visitfinley.com slash artwalk. And then we'll also have printed maps at all of the participating locations. And again, remember, it is uh, the first summer art walk. It is not replacing the fall art walk, right. which will be coming up here before it, you know yep, it. Yep, November 3rd, so okay. very soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about the first ever summer art walk in downtown Finley and a little beyond. Again, Danielle Finley, uh, Daniel Wilkin from uh, Visit Finley with us this morning. Danielle, thanks very much for dropping by. Of course, thanks. It. So we are less than a week away from the August special election where Ohio voters will get to decide whether to raise the threshold for amending the state constitution. Millions, literally millions of dollars have been spent uh, on both sides of uh, Issue 1. And joining us this morning is the chair of the Hancock County Democrats, Drew Van Horn, to discuss their opposition uh, to the uh, measure. And Drew, first of all, thanks very much for uh, being with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me in. Uh, so let's start with the uh, basic uh, question and jump right in to the, really the crux uh, of the question What is wrong with the concept of a higher threshold raising the bar to change the Ohio Constitution? I mean, we're not just talking about uh, passing a law. We're talking about changing the Constitution. This is a big deal, both uh, in uh, in principle and in the way uh, a, a constitutional amendment is applied. Shouldn't it be treated as such? For 100 years, it hasn't been. It's always been 50% of the vote plus one. Simple majority rule. And that's where the state started, and that's where the state has gone. And there was even a review back in 2017 by a group of politicians in Columbus at the request of the legislature. And 60%, excuse me, 60% was not anywhere in the mix of things. So... But again, I, you know, there are, I, I understand it's been looked at uh, in the past, and this is not the way it was set up in the past. But as times change, we have seen a lot of uh, measures that, frankly, should be, uh, should be um, measures that, that uh, were amended to the revised code uh, enshrined as Uh, constitutional measures instead. So, again, I go back to the idea that we require a much higher threshold to change the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Even the uh, many organizations, including the uh, Democratic Party, uh, has a threshold of, I believe, two-thirds to change its own constitution. How then can you argue that a a similar higher bar uh, is not appropriate in this case? Well, I'm not going to talk to the U.S. Constitution, but as to like the Democratic Constitution and our, you know, our organization's Constitution, it's a little bit different because we're all pretty much like-minded. We all have the same basic thought process and same principles, and we've bought into the same ideas. What you have now, if this passes, you're going to be minority rule. Forty percent of the people of a very small percentage of people who actually vote will then control the state. And it comes down to the state house basically says, public, you're not smart enough to do this. And the other thing is, it was ridiculous the way this came about. Last fall, the legislature passed a law that said no more August elections. They're too expensive. It's a super right. low turnout. Mm-hmm. $20 million, people, $20 million of your taxpayer dollars is being spent on this, on something that they said is inappropriate and shouldn't be done just a month ago. And it was done for one purpose, Chris. Well, that is, uh, that is a fair point. And uh, even, even uh, many of those who support Issue 1 uh, would agree with that argument and, and share that view, that this should not be 
uh, a, a part of uh, issue one, and in fact, that was uh, one of the things that we've discussed on the uh, on the program before that the state legislature went back on its own uh, rule uh, in order to uh, put this special election, which is uh, put this in a, a special election in August. And again, that's uh, the reasoning behind it is uh, is well documented. The point uh, that you made, but. Let, it does speak to some of what you were talking about does speak to the question um, of the way this is being presented by those in opposition to uh, to issue one. This does not end the concept of majority rule the way it is uh, being presented to the voters by opponents of issue one. It just doesn't. That's not uh, that's not factually accurate. I, I what's majority the referendum process remains unchanged. Again, this is not unusual for constitutions to have a higher uh, a higher bar than the, uh, revised code. The referendum the referendum process in the state has not changed and would not be affected by this. Well, actually, it's you know initiatives are going to require eighty eight counties now to sign off on it, not the not the forty four. So one county, one county, can block. A constitutional initiative that so it a, is changing it that is a fair point but when we're talking about the the threshold for passage of a law the referendum issue uh, the referendum process has not changed and the and uh, citizen groups still have the uh ability to pass a law uh through the referendum uh, process just as they always have with a simple majority Chris, go back and look through history of all the referendums that came across the the ballots in the last, I don't know, how many years. None of them have passed with a 60% vote. Basically, what the state house has done is they're taking the power from the people, whether it's a conservative issue, whether it's a middle-of-the-road issue, grassroots, they've taken it away, and they basically have put it to the point where they're the ones who are totally in control because we've never able to be able to put together a 60% coalition. It just doesn't happen. And this was done for one reason, to stop the reproductive rights. Again, after they said, we're not going to do this, because they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen come November in terms of what the vote's going to be. The other point is, they're t- the lies that they're telling, yes, are are the Democrats, or not, excuse me, not the Democrats, because are the reproductive rights groups mm-hmm. getting outside money? Of course they are. Planned Parenthood, pro-choice, all those groups. But this was funded majority by a billionaire out of some other state, out of Illinois. You talk about the... Uh, the, uh, the issue one initiative. To push, uh, yeah, to the push, to push this. Right. So, and this isn't about stealing parents' rights to, you know, take care of their children. That's one of the ones I've heard. The farmers um, coalition saying, we're going to um, tell you what you can eat. I think that was the ad I heard. But those have been, but those have been a uh, proposed constitutional amendments. Now they did not, they did not pass, but those have been proposed. Which, what proposals took away parents' right for, to take care of their children? I, I, again, you, uh, you make the point that it's, uh, that it's inaccurate to say that these are proposals when, in fact, they have been uh, proposals. Haven't been passed, but there have been uh, proposals to, uh, to uh, regulate uh, farm practices and, and so on and so forth uh, from, uh, outside the, from outside the state. Every grassroots effort that starts in the state is going to get money from outside the state. It's just the reality of it. However, this is going to make it harder for farmer grassroots efforts to come forward. This is going to make it harder for other conservative issues to come forward, for teachers to come forward, for labor to come forward and try to pass these initiatives. Because the level that they're requiring now is going to very easily be unattainable. No ability to fix signatures, which has always been a possibility. The 88-county requirement, and now 60%, which I, I'm, you tell me, when did anything in this state pass with 60%? Mm-hmm. So where does that put the power, Chris? In the state house by itself. That's it. 
What about the uh, the argument? And let me uh, throw this out at you. Have you uh, have you respond? And and this is a, a bit of a concern that when the Constitution is amended, when the Constitution is changed by these uh, by these types of initiatives, that if there are uh, problems or or issues with the with the governance uh, of these. Uh, of these issues, as there have been uh, in the past, that it is infinitely more difficult to fix those problems uh, because there's always the law of unintended consequences whenever you pass a law. Something is codified uh, in the Ohio Revised Code, then it's much easier to to fix the unintended consequences that come along with those uh, laws than it is when there's a constitutional constitutional amendment. Isn't that uh, also something that has to be factored in to the equation. Well, that's the reason we have checks and balances. We have the Supreme Court, we have the State House, we have the governor, we have the people. This is taking away that check of the people. And the other thing is, these don't happen all that often and they don't pass all that often. I saw something from Betty Montgomery where there was like 91 initiatives in the last, I don't know how many years, 17 passed. This isn't like some willy-nilly type of thing that everybody every day is throwing an initiative out there let me that actually speaks to and we'll get you out of here on this uh what does it say to you the fact that there are uh this is not strictly a uh one side against the other uh issue there are those uh that are not necessarily political allies that are normally political allies that are also opposed to issue one, what does that tell you? It tells me it's wrong. It tells me that people are not willing to give up their rights. They're not willing to let the state house come into our lives and control our medical decisions. And they know we are the people. We are the power. And all I ask is that everybody vote. That is your right. That is your duty as a patriotic American citizen and a citizen of the state of Ohio. You feel that if you can get out uh, the vote that uh, that this will be rejected? I mean, that this will be, that there is enough opposition that it's a matter of numbers? Absolutely, because unlike the state house, I trust the citizens of Ohio. They're smart people. They know what they're doing. They just have to sit, look, think, and this will pass. We will or won't pass, uh, as the uh, case may be. Won't pass. One. Yes, sorry. <laughs> You're your, correct. Thank you, Chris. Your, Vote no. In your view. Uh, again, uh, Hancock County Democratic Chair uh, Drew Van Horn with us uh, this morning. Uh, Drew, thanks very much for dropping by, sharing your uh, side of the uh, uh, issue. We appreciate it. Appreciate the time here. Thank you. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Not the mother of the year uh, here. A woman in Frankfort, Kentucky, has been charged after allegedly using a stun gun to discipline her six-year-old son. Wow. Um, Mary Cirillo was arrested this week, accused of using the taser... Uh, on the boy, and apparently this is not the first time she stands accused of letting her boyfriend use the stun gun on the child back uh, in in June. Uh, so uh, she is now in trouble with the law. Wow, a taser on a six-year-old. By the way, in the uh, most uh, recent incident, uh, she said she used the taser when the kid was acting up because he wanted strawberry milk. Wow. Just wow. Not the mother of the year. I mean, on a serious note, I mean, thank goodness that uh, this kid now uh, hopefully is in a much better uh, situation and they've uh, rescued uh, this, this child. But wow. A stun gun <clears throat> tasered a six year old. Man. Uh, Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, Dateline Bristol, Connecticut, where Irving Mote is accused of setting fire at a condominium 
because, as he told police, he wanted to rid the building of evil spirits. Well, that would do it, I would think. Uh, He is charged with first-degree arson uh, in the uh, case of the blaze. Happened last September. Police say he started the fire in the basement of his condominium because he felt the presence of evil spirits and wanted to get rid of them. (laughs) The uh, insurance company for the condominium association is seeking over $230,000 in restitution as well. Uh, I, I don't believe that there was anybody hurt, thank goodness, but... All of the evil spirits are gone. All of the good spirits are gone. Everybody's gone now from the uh, condo. So I guess, in a sense, it worked. Uh, let's see. Uh, another another case of uh, messes on uh, highways. What was it? Uh, was it the uh, the other day that we had? We have these uh, from time to time. Crazy things that get spilled on the highway uh, in southern Arkansas. A stretch of Interstate 30 is back open after crews cleaned up a cheesy mess. A big rig that was carrying cans of nacho cheese overturned near Prescott, Arkansas. The yellow goo coated the pavement, shutting down traffic. Again, nobody hurt, so that's the good part. The uh, Arkansas Department of Transportation posted on social media uh, wanting to know if there was anybody ready for Taco Tuesday. Help them clean it up. <laughs> Nacho cheese all over the highway. Again, try explaining that to the boss. You you would think that if somebody goes into work and says, I'm sorry I'm late, uh, you know, to the to the boss, but there was nacho cheese all over the highway, you'd have to believe them because nobody would nobody would make that up, right? Nobody would make that up. Uh, it was also a bit of a sour day in Mawa, New Jersey, as traffic was disrupted for several hours after a tractor trailer overturned and sent lemons spilling across the highway. The crash reported Wednesday morning, yesterday morning on uh, Route 17, around 10 a.m., so thank goodness they missed the rush hour. It appears the truck was in the northbound lanes when it went out of control and the container dislodged from the trailer before it struck another vehicle. It crashed into the overhead sign, and the container broke open, spilling lemons all over the southbound lanes. Uh, The drivers of both the truck and the second vehicle involved were uh, taken to the hospital, but non-life-threatening injuries, they will be fine. All lanes were closed Immediately in both directions after the crash, but at least one southbound lane of traffic was reopened within a couple of hours. Uh, And uh, Department of Transportation engineers determined the overhead sign uh, also has to be removed and replaced because it is now the the structural. It didn't come down, but the structural integrity was compromised. Um, On the northbound side of things, they didn't get uh, the road uh, opened until... Uh, late in the day, uh, right before quitting time. So. <laughs> because <laughs> lemons, uh, Christ, life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, but not in this case. That's... Uh, and a couple of other uh, items here in the uh, broken news. A missionary is being accused of stealing $33 million that was supposed to be used to purchase Bibles. Uh, Talk about a false prophet. 45-year-old Jason Schenk allegedly spent the money on diamonds, gold, sports betting, and uh, to pay off his family farm. Federal agents say that Mr. Schenk carried out his scheme over the course of nearly a decade from 2010 to 2019. He obtained funds by pretending to be a missionary bringing Bibles to China. But what he was really doing was lining his own pocket. Uh, Mr. Shank renounced American citizenship in 2016 and is still at large. Prosecutors say he is being uh, sought internationally. $33 million was supposed to be used to buy Bibles. Uh, Was it? False prophet indeed. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, it comes 
comes this story. Uh, a mercenary who was paid to fight uh, in the Russia-Ukraine war has now turned to police in Moscow for help after apparently some uh, prostitutes uh, allegedly stole his money. <laughs> uh, Dennis Kuzman, a uh, uh, mercenary who was uh, paid to fight for the Russians, reportedly visited a sauna uh, with uh, a uh, another of the uh, individuals who is being paid to fight, you know, one of the paid soldiers. And the pair hired a couple of ladies of the evening. However, after dozing off, he said, he woke up to find the women and his friend gone, along with all his money. (laughs) He said he uh, then called his buddy, only to find that uh, his friend was already at the airport, skipping town, leaving the country. (laughs) Said he lost about (laughs) $8,500. Now, see, this is a perfect example of why the war in Ukraine is not going well for the Russians. You know, this would be a perfect example of why it's not going very well. There you go. Uh, That is the uh, broken news this morning, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Are you struggling to feed your family? Need clothing but can't afford to shop at the store? Chopin Hall is here to help. Chopin Hall is a local food and clothing pantry. If you live in Hancock County and qualify based on income, Chopin Hall welcomes you. You can visit Chopin for food and clothing each month and also attend the many mobile food pantries. To learn more and to view the dates, times, and locations of the monthly mobile food pantries, visit ChopinHall.org. Chopin, Christians helping other people in need. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It appears it is getting much more difficult to get a car loan these days. Lenders are now denying more than 14% of applicants for car loans. And delinquency rates on those loans are also increasing. Pat Ryan of the payment management system Copilot says because of the overall banking environment, uh, lenders are actually pulling back from uh, writing auto loans. They just don't want to write them anymore. The average monthly car payment has now reached $733 in this country, and about 17% of car purchases are now paying more than $1,000 a month. And amplifying the concerns over delinquencies in auto loans, when the pause on federal student loan payments ends next month, banks say it, uh, banks are concerned it may be even harder for consumers to meet those monthly obligations and there's uh, car payments. If you caught the program on yesterday, you will recall we were talking about today's brown bag lunch lecture at the Hancock Historical Museum. Uh, At that event, they're going to be talking all about next April's solar eclipse, or I guess this coming April's solar eclipse. As you know, we will be squarely in the middle of the path of totality here in Northwest Ohio. What you may not know, and this will be part of the event today, one of the things they're going to be talking about at the Brown Bag Lunch Lecture at the Hancock Historical Museum, is that Hancock County is the home of William Wallace Campbell. He is a man who basically chased eclipses all over the world in the early part of the 20th century. It is really kind of odd that not many people know the story of William Wallace Campbell, considering that he helped prove Einstein's famous theory of relativity. And he would go on to serve as president of the National Academy of Sciences. This is a pretty renowned individual in the field of uh, astronomy and uh, uh, astrophysics. Several years ago, when his 
distinguished career in that field was the subject of an exhibit at the museum, we spoke with his granddaughter, Peggy Campbell Rhodes, who loaned many of the items for the exhibit on this forgotten famous name in Hancock County history. From November of 2015, it is today's Throwback Thursday. Talk a little bit about your grandfather and proving Einstein's theory of relativity. That actually came uh, as part of an expedition to Australia in 1922. Correct. Um, He was director of the Lick Observatory in California um, outside of Santa Cruz. Um, And they went on uh, eight or nine expeditions. uh, And one of them was to prove... uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. And basically, that is that the sun has such a tremendous gravitational pull that it distorts all of the space around it, and nothing, even light, can pass through it. And that is what they were working on. Uh, And these expeditions take months to prepare for, raise money for. In those days, you had to, you know, everything was shipped by by boat. Um, you had to get permission from the countries to go into various areas. So, and you have something like two to seven minutes for to prove whatever it is you want to prove yeah. after all that time. So, in some instances, uh, there was too much cloud cover. Uh, in another, on another continent when they were trying to look at it with another group, the, the camera jammed. It just, nothing worked in any of these. And, uh, William Wallace Campbell was the only one who was able to actually get the photographs, um, during this eclipse to prove Einstein's theory. And to think that even today, uh, with today's technology and, and, and such, uh, something like this is just an amazing accomplishment. Now you think back, in 1922, almost 100 years ago, uh, that is just almost mind-boggling. That's true, and we really didn't know very much at the time. In fact, at the time that the Lick Observatory was built, which is was in the late 1880s in California, um, the, the astronomers at Lick were the first ones to be able to measure the distance between the sun and the earth. We hadn't known that yet, and then from there, they were also able to measure the solar system. Well, that's sort of common knowledge now, more or less, um, but it wasn't known then. So they really were on the forefront of many discoveries. So he goes on to uh, become president of uh, UC Berkeley uh, and then the National Academy of Sciences as well. Actually, he became president of Berkeley uh, when the regents met him on the dock. It took him six weeks to get back from that expedition uh, to Australia. And they said, we want you to be president of the university. And he said, well, I don't really want to do that. Thank you so much. But um, I have a lot of work I still want to do up at the observatory. So no, no, I uh, no, thank you. And they kept after him and after him. And finally, they said, you know, um, you haven't been able to send your boys. There were three boys. You didn't send them here because the academics were so poor. And in fact, my father and his two brothers were sent east to go to uh, Hotchkiss and Harvard because the University of California had terrible academics. So they said, we really need you to upgrade this university, the academic part of the university. And that is what attracted to him. And he said, well, I'll do it on one condition. I want to be the director of the Lick Observatory. And at the same time, I will be um, president of the University of California. He also started the first uh, University of California system campus. There's seven of them now, but he started uh, University of California at Los Angeles. And through those, through the presidency, uh, through his leadership at Lick Observatory, the National Academy of Sciences, obviously uh, must have uh, brought him into uh, contact with a lot of uh, the the most noted scientists of the day. That's true. And um, it really uh, precipitated what I call the revolving door, um, both at the university and up at the Lick Observatory, because not only did scientists want to visit him, but statesmen did too. Winston Churchill uh, even came um, and went up to the observatory and was just thrilled with it. But so many other um, well-known people, and I'm talking about from Russia and India and Chile and Argentina and all over the world, actually, they wanted to meet this person and um, 
at the university, but also go up to the Lick Observatory. These are the days before uh, telecommuting where you couldn't do two jobs at once just sitting in front of your computer. Exactly. I mean, it took seven hours by horse just to wow. get up to the uh, to the top of the mountain. And when you got there, you I mean, you had to spend the night. You didn't have time to, to come back down. And it took four changes of horses, which logistically was also very complicated. There are many photographs at the Lick Observatory archives at the University of California in, uh, in Santa Cruz. Um, where all the papers and the medals um, from, uh, from the work that was done there, um, they're all stored there in the Lick Archives. Once again, from November of 2015, our conversation with Peggy Campbell Rhodes, the granddaughter of noted astronomer and Hancock County native William Wallace Campbell. It is our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, and you can learn more at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Again, more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, again, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, I promise we'll, <laughs> we'll have this story uh, in the uh, program tomorrow. Yesterday, we said that we were going to have it today. And today, I'm telling you, we're going to have it tomorrow. I apologize, we're a little mixed up on our schedule here. But why having a baby isn't always as simple as having a baby. A new report from the March of Dimes offers a troubling look at the lack of adequate prenatal and maternity health care in large sections of this country. Plus, it is Ohio's tax-free weekend for back to school. But if you're not careful, it may cost you more than you save. We'll explain. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.